excuse me, our scripture this morning is found in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. Have you ever walked into an absolute gum? You know what I'm talking about? Some of y'all may remember years ago when Brother Joe was the pastor at, at Fairview. He had originally come from an area of North Carolina that had been impacted by a hurricane that uh, that had passed through there. And so all of the churches in in our community got together and we drove over there and we were on the mud out crew. And you walk into someone's house and it is just an absolute wreck after something like that has happened. And your mind is just overwhelmed. Where do I begin? There's just so much that is wrong. So much that needs to be done. Where do I begin? Well, this morning we're going to see that Nehemiah understood that God had called him to be strengthened. And God had called him to be the Barnabas of the Old Testament. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Barnabas was that man. How many of y'all would love to have the name Barnabas? You know, that wasn't his real name. It was the name that was given to him. You know, like for me, you know, everybody calls me, hey, doofus. Okay, you know. But Barnabas, man, they call him, hey, son of encouragement. Hallelujah. Oh, by the way, I didn't tell you last week, Nehemiah's name in Hebrew means God comforts. God comforts. Now, listen. In, in some of the messages, and we're going to see kind of the, the planting of the seeds of that this morning, as opposition begins to arise against what God wants to do. Notice how I phrase that. It's not against what Nehemiah wants to do, because Nehemiah wants to do what God wants him to do. Okay? But Nehemiah is going to have to bring some messages that are not very comforting to get people to the place where God can comfort them. Because he walked into a task that was overwhelming. And what we need to learn from the... Listen, beloved. You know, we started talking last week that maybe there are some walls that are torn down in your life. And the enemy is just rushing in. Now, I'm not one of those that believes that every uh, book of the Bible can be interpreted four ways. There is a school of thought that says it can be interpreted four ways. One is literally and the other is metaphorically. But I do believe that as we read through the, the, the book of Nehemiah, that number one, we always keep in front of us, it is literally true. God used Nehemiah, it tells us very specifically, God used Nehemiah to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem in 52 days. Hello? 52 days. And they had that. And some of them we're going to see, they were working one-handed. How many of y'all have ever laid block? How many of y'all ever laid block with a spear or a sword in one hand? Okay. That kind of changes the whole equation, doesn't it? I remember we went out to 
Camp Creek. They'd had a big flood out there years and years ago. It wasn't too long after Pastor John came to Beulah. And you all know Pastor John was a contractor. And, and we were laying block at this building. Well, if you want the wall to stand, you don't want me laying the block. All right. If you don't want to build the, the leaning building at Camp Creek, then you need somebody else to be laying the block. But I can mud those things. Okay. And so I'm down there mudding those blocks, and, and Brother John is laying them faster than I can mud them. Okay? The point that I'm trying to make is that God wants to rebuild not just the wall of Jerusalem. He wants to rebuild those walls in your life. And you know, a lot of times, you may look and say, you know what, Pastor Larry, my life is just such a mess, I don't even know where to begin. Well, that's all right. Pick something. Pick something and begin working on it. Pick something and begin praying about it. Pick something and trust God for deliverance from it. Because God wants to strengthen us as we serve Him. Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. And in the honor of reading God's Word, let's stand. And it came about in the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. So the king said to me, Why is your face sad, though you are not sick? And might I add, in, in the king's mind, there's probably a yet in there. Because remember what uh, Nehemiah does? He drinks the king's wine first to make sure that he didn't drop dead. Okay? What a job. Anyway, keep going. This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire? Then the king said to me, what would you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. I said to the king, If it please the king, and if your servant has found favor before me, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, The queen sitting beside him, How long will your journey be? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I gave him a definite time. And I said to the king, If it please the king, let letters be given me for the governors of the provinces beyond the river that they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress, which is by the temple, for the wall of the city, and for the house to which I will go. And the king granted them to me because the good hand of my God was on me. Then I came to the governors of the provinces beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent me with officers of the army and horsemen. Then Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about it, and it was very displeasing to them that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. Oh, and by the way, Tobiah is kin to Nehemiah. We'll find that out later. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. And I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. I did not tell anyone what my God was putting into my mind to do for Jerusalem. And there was no animal with me except the animal which I was riding. 
So I went out at night by the valley gate in the direction of the dragon's will and on to the refuse gate, inspecting the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down and its gates which were consumed by fire. Then I passed on to the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was no place for my mount to pass. So I went up at night by the ravine and, ex- and inspected the wall. Then I entered the valley gate again and returned. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done, nor had I as yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the rest who did the work. Then I said to them, You see the bad situation we are in, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. Then they said, let us arise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard it, they mocked us and despised us and said, what is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? So I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven will give us success. Therefore, we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion, right, or memorial in Jerusalem. Let us pray. Father God, we love you so much and we thank you for the reading of your perfect and infallible word in our midst. God, we just ask that you would add your blessing to the reading of your word and as you illumine the the author of this book, that you would illumine our hearts and minds this morning as well. Father God, we love you so much and we offer to you our love, our lives, and this prayer. In and through the name of Jesus, our risen Lord and Master. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Last week we looked at Nehemiah and his distress over everything that was going on in Jerusalem. Now, listen, all he had at this point was a postcard. Okay? Some of y'all are old enough to remember those, right? You know, like when, when Angie and I went to, to Israel in 1995, we sent some, some postcards to some people. How many of y'all feel like you've been to the Holy Land because you got a postcard? Okay. Or, or you've been to the Great Smoky Mountains National Park because your aunt or your uncle sent you a postcard from it. Now, y'all know he didn't have a postcard, but I'm, I'm trying to make a point here. Nehemiah had just heard what was going on. He had just heard how bad it was. And it distressed him. It distressed him greatly. He had never been to Jerusalem. Okay? But his people were buried there. And so, Nehemiah is distressed. And we saw in in chapter 1 that that led Nehemiah to weep and to pray over the ruins of Jerusalem, begging God to use him for a program of recovery. Let me, let me say that to you again. Nehemiah saw a need, and he did what Isaiah did. He said, here am I, God, use me. 
Use me. I'm willing to get involved. I am willing to go and be used by you to do this work, to restore your name, to restore your honor, to restore your glory. God, use me. And we saw, we saw that there was, that this is also a metaphor. That God wants us to see that God is the restorer of broken walls and broken gates and burned down gates in our own lives as well. Listen, beloved, remember what I said. Nehemiah had never been to Jerusalem. Had he had an opportunity? Uh-huh. There had been another group that had left and was already back in Jerusalem. Nehemiah had chosen. Now, he was the king's cupbearer. Now, some of y'all are going to say, well, preacher, he had a job. Yeah, he did, but he went to the king and what we're looking at this morning and said, you know what? Serving God is more important than my job. Hello? Serving God is more important than my job. I remember when, when I was at Carson Newman. All us preacher boys get together, we'd go over to the, to the snack bar and drink coffee and talk about how we were all going to have the most perfect churches that, that, that had ever been on God's green earth and how we were just wise and knew exactly what to do. And, and some of them were already serving in churches. I was doing supply preaching. And, and one of the brothers came in one day and he said that they had this uh, single mother that was a member of the church. And they had gone to her. And, and, and the only place she could find a job was in a convenience store. And they had gone to her and told her that she was either going to have to quit that job or they were going to kick her out of the church because that convenience store sold beer. Now, obviously, our church covenant says that we will not do that. But I looked at my brother and I said, wouldn't it have been a whole lot more effective if y'all had gone to her and said, listen, it breaks our heart that you have to do this. We are willing to come alongside your family and to help you and support you until you can find a job where you don't have to do that. Hello? Which would have spoken more loudly to that young woman and her children. Anyway, Nehemiah, I think, at some level recognized, you know what, I have really enjoyed my cushy job. I mean, I get to sit around and drink wine all day, and if I don't die, it's been a pretty good day, right? I mean, it's not like he's got any manual labor. All he's doing is, some of y'all know what I'm getting ready to talk about, those 12-ounce curls. That's all he had to do. And I think he recognized that at some point in his life that, that he was saying that he was a good Jew, but, but, but there was a, a lack that the wall and the gate in his own life had been torn down and burned down. And he needed to get serious about his relationship with God. 
And when he heard that the temple was still laying in ruins, then he said, if nobody else will do it, God, here am I. Send me. And you know what the funny thing about that thing was? He expected God to do something. How many of us pray and we don't really expect God to do anything, but we're Christians. We know we're supposed to pray. Or we tell people, the least I can do or all I can do is pray. Oh, beloved. Oh, beloved. Why would you minimize your conversation with the King of kings and the Lord of lords in that way? Praying for somebody is the most powerful thing you can do. Because I've told you over and over where prayer is focused, power falls. Nehemiah prayed about that thing. And in verse 1, I'm getting there. Josh is wondering where in the world is he. None of this is in his notes. And in verse 1, we're given a time marker. Why are we given a time marker? To let us know that Nehemiah has been praying over this thing for four months. I didn't say four minutes. How many of us, if we pray four minutes, we're thinking, Lord, I wore it out today. <laughs> Nehemiah's been praying over this thing for four months. And now, God has placed the call on his life, and he calls him to arise and build. Now, Nehemiah had been praying for four months. Because as I said, he had a job. And it's kind of hard to taste the king's wine when the king is in Susa and you're in Jerusalem. It's a two-month journey. It'd be sour by the time it got there. And so Nehemiah had been praying for God to give him an opportunity to talk to his boss about the Lord. All right, let's just put it in terms you and I can understand. He had been praying for an opportunity to share with his boss what God was doing and wanted to do in his life. And it wasn't just a one-and-done prayer. And during this time, Nehemiah was gripped with fear, and he was heavy-hearted about the, about the thing. Listen. When Angie and I came to Concord, Precious Moments was big. Y'all remember that? Some of y'all remember that. And somebody gave us a little precious moments with the man and, and the wife. And he was carrying a Bible under, under his arm. And, and they had a little cart that they were carrying together. And the point of the thing was that they were being obedient to God's call. Y'all think it was easy to just say, Lord, 
I'm yours. Take me where you want me. Take me where, and, and tell me what you want me to do. Nehemiah was, was distraught about this. And listen, beloved, I believe the reason that he was sad and, and overwhelmed. That, you know, we use the word sad, and, and obviously the, the, the word it, sad is used there in Hebrew. But I think what was really going on was that God had told Nehemiah he was going to use him. And Nehemiah knew that sooner or later he was going to have to talk to Artaxerxes about this thing. And it weighed heavy on him. And so he comes in, he comes in to the king's presence, and it it tells us that in verse 1, that he took up the wine, he took a big old slug of it, and he gave it to the king, and his face is said, now, let me tell you how this thing would work. The cupbearer would, would take a drink of the wine in the king's presence, and then everybody would just kind of look just to make sure that rascal wasn't going to drop dead. And so he hands this wine to the king, and he's got he's got Mr. Pouty face on. Now, if you're the king, what's that going to do to your heart? Something ain't right with that wine. Okay? Something ain't right. I have never seen this boy sad before in my life. And so the only thing I can think of is something is not right in that wine. And so the king asked him, Why are you sad when you're not sick? Let me translate that for you. Nehemiah, you live through that cup. It's not poison. Why are you sad? Okay. Pretty good day at work. You didn't die today. Okay. And Nehemiah now understands. Nehemiah now understands that God just opened the door for what he had been praying for for four months. Hello? He had been praying for four months for God to give him the opportunity to share the burden that God had put on his heart with his boss. And the, and his boss uh, uh, pitches him a low, slow one right at, at, at belt height down the center of the plate. Why are you sad? And Nehemiah recognizes what's going on. Now, it tells us that when he begins to tell uh, the king what's going on, that he says a quick prayer. Now, here's the problem with most Christians. That's the only prayer we pray. We already up to our neck in alligators. And it wasn't God that put us in the swamp. It was our own rushing ahead of Him. God called us to the plane and we decided that the swamp looked more interesting. And now we're up to our neck in alligators and we go, God, help me. Help me, God. Nehemiah prayed a quick prayer 
How many of y'all remember the, the Christmas play our young people did? Y'all remember what Cindy Lou Who did after the Grinch said a certain word? She got away by herself and said, This is it, Lord. This is it. This is what we've been praying for. This is what we've been asking for. This. We've been praying to get an opportunity to share Jesus. And here it is. Give me strength. And the reason that it works is because Nehemiah had been praying for four months over this thing. Now, that's not to say that sometimes in the course of the day, you find yourself up to your neck in alligators through no fault of your own. It is entirely appropriate to cry out to God at that point, hello, and say, God, deliver me from these alligators. But we need to first make sure that we're not faced with alligators because we're being disobedient. Throughout this book, we find Nehemiah praying 11 times in 13 chapters. Let that sink in. 11 prayers in 13 chapters. Many of them are just sentence prayers like the one that we see in in verse 4. But they reflect the fact that in any and every situation, Nehemiah looked to God in prayer. He's an example of what Paul told the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. He said, pray without ceasing. Pretty simple verse, isn't it? Don't you love that? Don't you love the ones that are easy to memorize? Okay. They're really easy to, to memorize. And the Greek word there, translated without ceasing, doesn't mean without any break. It means it's something that we return to over and over and over and over again until God gives us the answer, yes or no. So Nehemiah understood that he was to pray without ceasing. I've said that it took four months of prayer. He made Nehemiah wait. He made Nehemiah continue to pray that prayer. Why does God make us wait? It is to teach us to depend on Him in prayer. You know, all of us have seen movies, or you may even know someone that was a youngin that, that came from a family that was well-to-do and everything in their life was handed to them. They never had to work for it. They never had to struggle for it. They never had to put any skin in the game. And so at the end of the day, they appreciate the gift more than they do the giver. God makes us wait so that we will appreciate the giver more than the gift. Hello? Because when we're praying for four months, or four years, or four decades, we're building a relationship with God. We're being drawn closer 
to God's heart. And we learn to depend on Him in ways that we would never learn any other way. And then when the answer comes, verse 8 tells us that we understand that it was the good hand of God that was upon us. I'm skipping a whole lot of material, beloved. Uh, Just bear with me. So, Nehemiah makes a very bold request. He comes to the king and he says, King, my hometown, which by the way I've never been to, my hometown where my granddaddy and my great-granddaddy and all my people are buried is lying in ruins. Could I have a leave of absence? I need a leave of absence. And the king says, well, how long do you need? And, and Nehemiah gives him a definite time, but we're going to find uh, out through the rest of this book that Nehemiah stayed in Jerusalem 12 years. Okay? And then he asks the king, this is a bold request, he says, okay, by the way, I also need letters so that we don't get attacked as we go through these neighboring provinces. And then, would you let me cut down some of your trees? Give me a letter that gives me permission to cut down trees from your forest to be able to rebuild the city. And then note Nehemiah's strong testimony in verse 8. It says, The king granted all of his requests because the good hand of my God was on me. Do you understand, beloved? Nehemiah was a man with a fearless spirit. Why? Because he trusted in Almighty God. He trusted in God. He boldly went before the king because he trusted God more than he trusted the king. Amen? He trusted God more than he trusted the king. And so it is with us. God tells us that a spirit of fear is not from the Lord. And so when we trust the Lord, He gives to us a spirit of of strength and courage and stamina to carry out the task that He gives to us. But listen to me, beloved. We can only approach Him through Jesus. It is Jesus alone who gives us access into God's presence. When we come to Jesus and approach God through Him, Jesus gives us the right to be bold before God. And we can then boldly request that God would meet our needs. Verses 9 through 20. So Nehemiah got to Jerusalem. He rested for three days. About a two or three month journey from Susa to Jerusalem. And then he got up and he went out at night. He didn't want to draw any undue attention. And so he goes out and inspects the scope of his work at night. And then in verse 17, once he had his plans, he began assembling and motivating the people to action. And he challenges them to action. To join him 
and rebuilding the walls of the great city of God. Here's what had happened. Same old, same old. Well, that wall's been down 30 years. Ain't nobody attacked us yet. It'll be the same tomorrow. We'll wait until tomorrow to to do it. We'll wait until we get our income tax refund to, to do that thing God called us to do. We'll wait until our ship comes in until we uh, do what God tells us to do. We'll wait until we do this, that, or the other. We always try to put conditions on obeying God. Listen, beloved, you obey God or you don't. There's no conditions with God. Nehemiah helps him to understand that God wants that wall rebuilt. When they had resigned themselves to the same old, same old, to the circumstances of their lives and the, and, and the lethargy and complacency they were facing. And third, Nehemiah closed his challenge by giving his personal testimony. Do you see it there in verse 18? It's not a big one. Some of us think you've got to have this dramatic testimony. You know, that I was born as an incubus. You know, and, and was raised to worship Satan. And I was a drunk, and I was a, a meth head, and I, you know, I was addicted to heroin, and, and, and I did all of this stuff. Nehemiah simply says, I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me. Listen, beloved, is anybody in this room that has not been blessed by God? Anybody? There's your testimony. There's your testimony. The hand of God has been favorable to me. There's your testimony. I think we might sing a song about that. Then I repented of my sin and won the victory. There's your testimony, beloved. Nehemiah had been praying for that. It's not this big, dramatic testimony. But through his personal testimony, they could rest assured that God would be present with them. Well, as you know, must have been a bunch of Baptists in Jerusalem at that time. Because immediately after launching the work, Nehemiah was forced to take a bold stand against those who opposed the project. You know, I've seen... Listen, I know of a church that split. They had done some remodeling in the church. And when it got done, they started disagreeing whether they was going to put that number board back up in the sanctuary. And the church split over whether that number board was going to go back up in the sanctuary. Hello? Well, that's a great testimony, isn't it? These people that were in charge, that they liked the status quo because they were profiting off of it. They were getting everything they wanted. They were getting the honor. They were getting the glory. They were getting the money. They were getting everything they wanted. And so they then come and begin to mock. And then they employ the nuclear option. And in verse 19, they say, What is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And Nehemiah said the only thing that, that you can say to something like that. 
God called me to do this. The God of heaven will give us success. Therefore, we His servants will arise and build, but you have no portion, right, or memorial in Jerusalem. You're out. You got nothing to do with this. Last thing I want to say to you. Nehemiah was a man of exhortation. In Acts 11.23, I opened by talking about Barnabas. In Acts 11.23, Barnabas was a man that just loved to encourage people. Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. Do you understand what he was doing? Barnabas just flew into a grace pit. He saw God pouring out His grace. And you know what that man wanted to do? He wanted to see more of it. He wanted to see God pouring more of His grace out on this fellowship of believers. And so he's just going around whispering in their ears, God loves you so much. Man, how can I pray for you today? I understand you're you're going through a rough time. Could I walk with it through you? Barnabas was was an encourager. Nehemiah was an encourager. God wants you, God wants me to be encouragers. And He wants us to look at all of the people in our lives and say the God of heaven will give us success. Therefore, we will arise and build. Will you arise and build this morning?